You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This past weekend, turkey hunting in Wisconsin, I did something that I don't think I've ever done before, which is to tag out both days in a row on the tags that I had for that zone in that time period. And so I wanted to break down those hunts, tell the story, and just kind of go through the details there. Uh, hopefully it'll be somewhat entertaining, especially since I'm not posting the video footage for the hunts until next spring. Uh, but also, there might be little nuggets in here that could be helpful to people listening. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas, aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. So to set the stage for this, I haven't hunted in Wisconsin yet this year for turkeys. Usually, and it's changed over the last several years, when I first started hunting Wisconsin as a non-resident, because I grew up there, I used to be able to hunt it as a resident, although at that time I didn't really turkey hunt too much. I used to be able to get season C tags uh, for most any zone, especially the ones that I was hunting in. But over time, with the popularity and or just how they kind of allocate the tags, I've not been able to get A, B, C, uh, really, and then D, which is the fourth season, is pretty much the earliest I can get, which is not usually until like May 10th or so. And then E is usually pretty easy to get a leftover for, and F in at least a couple of zones, they usually never run out of leftover tags. So a couple of people have been asking me, how do you get some of these over-the-counter tags? Uh, for the later seasons, they're pretty easy to get, especially zones one and four, uh, which are kind of the western side of the state. It's And if you want to get a leftover tag there, it's usually pretty easy. It can be very hit or miss on some of those later seasons because those public areas, if you're going to ones that are, I guess, more likely to have turkeys, the ones that look better on the map, the people who are travel hunting tend to gravitate toward those type of areas. And when Shane and I had hunted down and say like, for instance, Southwest Wisconsin, uh, a couple of years ago, we've had experiences in where we've had good hunts 
and then in subsequent years, the activities kind of dropped off and some of that certainly is going to be hit or miss, but that is to say that there's definitely some risk of, you know, just like going on an out of state trip for a season F tag. If you find a bird that could be very killable, but they also have probably been very pressured. So in some of the areas that I've gone, I've been able to find areas that, you know, tend to have a lot of birds and reasonable amount of pressure to where in the later seasons, the pressure starts to taper off quite a bit. A lot of the people, it seems like turkey hunting in general up here in the upper Midwest, they'll hit it hard whenever they have their opening tag, whether it's like the opening of the season in mid-April or if it's like whatever tag they get, if it's like a season B or a season C or whatever, they'll hit it hard. You'll find a lot of pressure, especially in some of the major public land areas. Uh, but then once that tag is over, you get very few people kind of going back and hunting some of those later seasons, especially once the fishing opener hits and, and people are out there and they're starting to fish uh, and lose interest in turkey hunting. So that can give some pretty good opportunities and we're not quite there yet. Um, well, I guess I should say we're getting there very quickly, but these last couple of hunts, you had a few fewer people in the woods just due to the fact that you did have fishing opener, but this is also the earliest tag that I could get for the state of Wisconsin. Prior to that, I had only hunted Iowa. Shane and I went down there, punched our tag on the, uh, the first morning. And so I haven't turkey hunted since, cause I just haven't had a tag. Now in this particular area of Wisconsin, I hunted there quite a bit last year cause it's a bigger public land area. It's a lot of room to roam, lower turkey density. But I was kind of thinking if there are enough turkeys here to hunt, at least I'll be able to kind of roam and make moves and get around birds. Whereas hunting some of the smaller public pieces, especially the ones that are kind of tucked in amongst a whole bunch of private land. Some of the issues I've had in the past are that these birds just, I think through pressure, get pushed into certain areas to roost and fly down and actually spend a lot of their time <clears throat> to where it's very hit or miss in terms of whether or not you can basically get on the bird that you've roosted and have them fly down and stay on public versus having them fly off and get into an area where you can't hunt them anymore. And maybe they'll come back in midday. Maybe they'll come and spend time, you know, early afternoon because you can see turkey scratching and sign and that sort of thing. But it's definitely much harder and it gives you kind of a, you know, hopeless feeling when you have those birds going and uh, drift off onto private and you basically can't do anything about it. <clears throat> so going to the, some of this bigger public land area, the goal was I can roam. Even if there's fewer birds, if I find one, I should be at a much higher likelihood of being able to kill that bird. <clears throat> Last year, we tagged out on Sam's bird. I never actually killed one myself hunting in this area, but I definitely found enough sign to say, okay, it's probably worth coming back here. And I was able to figure out which areas amongst some of that bigger land overall were most, most likely to have more birds than others. So coming into this year's hunt, I said, okay, there's one area where I, I have a really good feeling there could be birds roosted. We had some pines and a little bit of terrain amongst a more flat area overall. So I said, I'm going to check that area out first. It was the area that Sam killed her gobbler last year. And I went in there the night before that, that, uh, first day I had to hunt and just did some roosting, used the owl hooter. And I had the diaphragm call there for the coyote howl, which I used a little bit as well. Uh, although it seemed like in this area, in this time, the owl hooter was doing pretty well all by itself. Sometimes it's not always the case, but 
I did my owl hooting in that area, nothing. And actually I had three additional real owls start hooting and laughing and making a whole bunch of ruckus right in and around the area where I was thinking these birds might be roosted, nothing, dead silent. And I was looking for tracks as well on some of those logging roads that I was walking and there wasn't much. I found one spot where there was a gobbler track crossing the logging road, but there was no places along that road where I could actually see turkeys walking along the logging road itself. It was just that one crossing track, no hen tracks. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, I've only ever, ever hunted here one year prior. So maybe they're not in here this year. Maybe they're somewhere else. Maybe there were times in here early season and some of the locals in seasons A, B, and C have already hunted them and or killed them. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to cover some more ground. And if I don't hear anything at all tonight, then I'll check out a different area where I saw a sign last year and just go there in the morning and listen. I had gone maybe a half a mile on that logging road and heard, just heard a real faint gobble. So I verified it, got him to gobble back to an owl hooter. So I had a good line on him and then made a big loop around and it's getting pretty dark and, and late at this point to try and see if I can triangulate him. And eventually I did, I was able to continue all hooting and I actually got like from three different directions on like six different lines where this bird was likely roosted. And looking at the map, the layout here is, is kind of important because, you know, I mentioned it's, it's somewhat flat, but we also have these various logging roads kind of throughout this uh, overall public land. And there's a little bit of, of topography here. So not much, but just like rolling hills a little bit. And so I'm looking at the place where that bird is roosted and it seems like it's kind of right on the crest of one of these hills. And even more so than that, it looks like there's a logging road that basically works right past where that bird is roosted. And there's some old logging activity to make it look like on either side of that logging road, you had some thick stuff, but then also other areas where it was a little bit more open. And so I'm thinking, okay, that bird's not going to fly down and go into that real thick crap. He's probably going to fly down that logging road and work it up into that area where it's a little bit more open and spend some time there. There's even a little bit of an opening where I imagine at one point in time when they were logging this area out, it might've been like one of those areas where they just stacked logs and it created what appeared to be like a little, you know, 20 by 30 yard open pocket that I could see on Spartan Forge looking at the, the aerial and the satellite views. And so like a man, that bird's probably going to go down there. He might even strut in that opening. So I went in there the next morning with the plan of going down that logging road and getting close to where that bird is roosting and then just kind of dipping off to the side of that logging road by a little bit. I wanted to get past where that opening was to kind of, you know, cut him off on the way there. And it's still pretty dark at this point. So I'm trying to, you know, find my way around, trying to figure out where there's going to be a good place to cut off of this logging road. It's, it's very thick on both sides and I'm spooking deer. They're making noise. It's not anywhere close to light at this point. I can't remember the exact time, but it was still very early. And the bird gobbled and he was very, very close. Uh, it was still dark enough that I don't think he could really see me or d identify me as a human, but he was probably close enough to me at that point where if it were lighter, he probably would have been able to see me. And so I'm like, uh, eh, I don't know. I think, you know, I don't have, I don't want to just dive in and have a haphazard less than the optimal setup here. I'll just back up to the, where that opening was and I'll just sit on the edge of it. 
and hope that that bird works all the way that direction, which again, I thought he had a pretty good likelihood of doing anyway, just based on what his options were after fly down. So I backed up and in that grassy opening, I picked basically a pine tree on the back side of it to be able to sit against. And so for me to be able to shoot across this opening, it was probably about 20, 25 yards. And the logging road was coming just off the, the side of me to where I could not see all the way down that logging road to where that bird would be coming from. I could basically only be able to see that bird once he popped out into the actual field. Um, so I, I thought maybe that was an advantage just from the standpoint of he's less likely to see me as he's, you know, coming down that logging road. Whereas if I'm off to the side a little bit, he's not going to see me at all. Uh, but to give him some kind of a visual reference, I actually did stick a decoy out kind of level with me and a little bit back just so he had something to look at. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be calling or not, but at least if I was calling and it, obviously I'm filming, so I wanted something to be able to capture that bird's attention. And hopefully if he hit that logging road and had to make a decision of where to go, maybe that decoy would give him just a little bit more incentive to be able to head my direction. And it was just a single Jake decoy that I put out and the bird gobbled. Eventually he flew down very early. Uh, it was kind of sunny. So he was able to fly down not too much longer after shooting light, still before sunrise. And after about a minute, I hadn't called at this point. I, had, I didn't call when he hit the ground or before. After about a minute or two, I could start to hear some drumming. I think, okay, he's, he's probably coming this way. And then the drumming started getting louder and I could hear him spitting. He gobbled a couple times. It's pretty obvious at this point that he's working the direction toward that little opening that I'm sitting at. And so I have no reason to call. I'm just going to wait for him to pop up there. I've got the camera pointed right at where that logging road spills out into that opening. And he just slowly kept working his way, working his way. Might have been five minutes or so for him to work that 100 yards that he needed to go. And eventually I could see his fan through the grass. And he finally started to pop out into that, uh, that clearing. And I didn't give him a whole lot of time because I had front cover. I, I had a good back cover on the pine tree I was sitting at, but I also had front cover. And if he was going to keep working toward that decoy, there's going to be about like a 20 yard blind spot where I couldn't really shoot. I could shoot at the decoy and I could shoot right when he popped out, but nothing in between. And it was something I didn't really figure out until it started to get light out. Uh, but I basically made a decision as soon as I have an opportunity, I'm going to shoot him. And so I had probably had him out in the open for a matter of, four or five seconds. He, uh, his head cleared the grass and he came out of strut, put his head up and I uh, shot him. And that was how the hunt played out. It was, uh, very simple from what I had to do. And I think ultimately it all just played around a really optimal layout of the land and knowing what that bird was likely going to do once he flew down, that gave me the confidence to not try and set up too close, gave me the confidence to not try and call and potentially spook him. Uh, so it all worked out great. And in that position, as I was sitting there hunting and listening to the birds gobble, I could hear birds gobbling off in the direction where I had tried to roost last night and didn't hear anything. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's, that's a good confirmation that that area probably did have birds after all. They just weren't gobbling last night, which is not all that uncommon that despite your best roosting efforts, sometimes they just don't gobble at night. So I thought about potentially putting that bird in the, the vehicle after I registered him and trying to go after some of these other birds. 
but I kind of knew how that terrain laid out and that terrain, there's a good chance that the birds could work off on a private throughout the day. And it's very thick also in certain areas. So I made the decision to just take that bird home. I took care of all the meat, did some errands around the house with the goal to basically come back that evening and try and re-roost those birds that I wasn't able to get roosted the night before and make a play on them the following morning. So that's what I did. I came back out in the evening and this time I was going to wait longer before starting to roost. I started around sunset the night before and it was maybe a little bit too early because the bird that I ended up getting to gobble, he didn't gobble until well after sunset. And it was almost an hour after sunset when I heard the last gobble. So very dark. So I'm like, okay, well, if that's, if that's the pattern here, then I'll start later. And sure enough, I was able to get those birds to gobble and was able to verify that there was two of them back there. And they were roosted very close to where Sam had killed her turkey the year before. And Again, it was kind of a similar layout where you had really thick stuff on top, but you had more open hardwoods where the terrain sloped off. And that's where they were roosting on that slope with the bigger, more mature hardwoods. And knowing where Sam killed her bird, there was a nice little strip of kind of a flat on top of a bench before it rolled off where it just looks beautiful. And there's a really good tree to be able to set up. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that tree where we hunted with Sam, that's like maybe a hundred yards from those birds are likely roosted. They might fly down and go on a private. They might fly down and, and come in that direction. And if they do, I've got a good chance of killing them right there. And if I go in there in the dark, I know that that setup is going to work versus just trying to find something haphazard, you know, in the dark, trying not to kick the birds off the roost. Got in there, got set up the next morning. And one of the birds is roosted maybe a hundred yards away, 120, somewhere around there. The other one sounded like he was much closer. It sounded like he was about 60 yards. I kept looking up in the tree for him, but I couldn't see him. And so what I think may have just been the case is he was probably roosted off the edge of the hill, but probably just under the crest to where I couldn't quite see him. And it just made the sound sound like he was right there kind of over top of me. The one bird who was closer flew down first. I didn't make any calls at this point. And he started gobbling on his own and I could hear the other one when he would gobble, he was still up in the tree. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to wait until they both fly down. And it was maybe five or 10 more minutes. The second bird flew down and they were gobbling. Sounded like probably 120 yards or so off on that hillside. I gave a couple light calls and, uh, nothing responded right away, but they gobbled maybe five seconds later. So I just left him be for a little bit. And again, kind of like yesterday, the way that the terrain lays out, I'm thinking they might just work their way up on this bench naturally. And in which case I wouldn't have to do much. Well, after 10 more minutes of silence, I figure I'll try calling again and just see if I can get them to respond. So I gave a series of maybe, I don't know, five or six yelps. And one of them hammered back right away. And he sounded like he was probably 60 yards and closing the distance. So at that point, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to work out. They're going to come up here. The way the terrain rolls out, they're not going to come in behind me. It's too thick. They're probably not going to just stay on that hillside. They're probably going to work right up on top of this bench. So I got the camera pointed that direction and just started to get everything ready. I did also have that same Jake decoy set up on the top of that bench, probably I would say 20 yards 
past me from where the birds were. So for them to get to the decoy, they would have had to walk past me 20 yards. And so I could see the birds finally start to work their way up on the top of that bench. At this point, when I made first visual, they're 20 yards away, which again, just based on how that place lays out is perfect. You're not going to, you're very less likely to have them hang up because for them to try and see that hen that they can hear, they've got to get in close. And so they basically were walking stride to first stride, one right and back of the other. And I only have one tag. And so I had to wait. I would have shot earlier, but I didn't have a clean shot at just one bird. They were walking 15 yards away, broadside heading slowly toward that decoy in and out of strut. And the, uh, instant that one of the birds finally started to slow down a little bit and the other one picked up the, the pace and they got a good three, four feet of distance between them. At that distance, I knew that my pattern was going to be tight enough to only hit one of those birds pretty cleanly. And so I shot at that point, that bird dropped, the other one flew off. And again, it was one of those hunts where I think having the experience hunting there last year was huge because unlike the first day's hunt, where it was really easy to look at that logging road and say, oh, I bet that bird's going to walk right at that logging road. You didn't have that scenario here. And it's kind of a nightmare to, to walk into this spot blindly in the dark. Uh, had I not done it last year and basically gotten a good trail to be able to, to get in there. Uh, when hunted with Sam, we got in there and we killed her bird like one in the afternoon. So it was very easy, bright daylight. And we were able to figure out, okay, here's how you get back into the spot. And we just had kind of found it by accident. And that really played a big role in being able to get in there, get set up, be nice and calm and quiet and not really disturb anything before that hunt happened. And I think the calling in this scenario, it may have helped. It may not have made any difference. I think it definitely helped pull those birds in a little bit quicker than it may have. Otherwise they may have still worked up onto that bench regardless, but at least in this scenario, doing a little bit of calling, let me know that, Hey, they're right about to, to pop up. So you better be ready. And Everything worked out great. I don't have any more tags currently for Wisconsin. Uh, I was a, a bit forgetful when the leftovers went on sale. Usually I get a D, an E, and an F. And this year I got ended up getting two Ds, which is why I was able to shoot birds on consecutive days. Uh, but I wasn't able to get an E because by the time I logged back on to buy an E tag, they were all gone. I ended up getting an F, which is not until like the week leading up to Memorial Day. And then we have a Wisconsin or a Minnesota tag that uh, both Sam and I will try to fill here late season. So still have a couple of tags left, but so far this turkey season has been, you know, pretty phenomenal. It usually doesn't work out that way. A lot of times the there's just factors that are simply out of your control when it comes to roosting birds and trying to hunt them the next morning. Maybe they fly off the next way. A lot of times you have hens that'll be in the mix and there's a lot of unpredictability that comes with hens because you might not have them walk off the direction that you'd like to, them to walk off of the roost on. But in this case, everything worked out totally awesome. So I'm pretty pumped about that. The video footage for the hunts I'm holding off until next year. And that's just because I'm sure like you guys have seen from some of the other bigger turkey hunting channels, they stopped posting this year's hunts this year around this time as well. And they start posting them in like March, April, the following year to help build up some hype and give them some content when people are kind of chomping at the bit to start seeing new turkey hunting content. So that's what I'm going to do as well. Uh, if I post videos this time of year, they're just, there's less interest. So I'll hold on to those videos and probably post them in April next year. 
That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.